just running through it. Yeah, I like how you don't like get, like getting anyone ready. James was probably sitting on his hands. No, James had to like rip him out so fast he's now chafed. Some people okay. do that, you know what? Okay. Some people sit on their hands. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> and then they smell like farts all day. Alex, <laughs> cut it out. Listen, this is weird. I don't even know where we are right now. That's because you have coronavirus. <clears throat> well, don't say that. Uh, f- listener, welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And here we are. Another week, another weird topic. We're here to keep it strange. How have you guys been? Doing good. Just hunkered down. Yeah. Yeah. Social distancing. Yeah, six feet apart at all times. Or as times. I call it, day-to-day life. <laughs> yeah, I saw a little meme floating around that said, uh, when you find out that your everyday life is called quarantine. Yes. Truthfully, accurate. I am so good at this, you guys. Like, I like being alone anyway. It's just been great yes. with, like, video games and books. And then on top of that, I'm OCD. So people keep telling me, like, uh, do you have hand sanitizer? I'm like, uh, do you even know me? It's like all the things that I normally do are just happen to be perfect for this situation. (laughs) I haven't changed my lifestyle at all, really, except for I don't I don't go to the gym or I don't go to social gatherings. It's the only thing that's changed. All James has to do now is wear leather, and he'll be just be Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad to hear that quarantine's going well for you, James. Mm. We've just been kicking it at home. Yeah. yeah, we've been watching Lego Masters, which is a really cute show. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend if you want something to just pass the time with. It's a nice reality show of people building things with Legos. Mm. Yeah, they build they build Lego structures. Makes Lego me structures. jealous of their creativity. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyways, let me grab my computer because I have some notes, you guys. You have notes? Yeah, I spoke with one of our listeners named Hazel from Fort Worth, Texas. And she told me about, after listening to our Dreams episode, she wanted to give us a little little insight to what the Filipino culture thinks of teeth falling out in dreams. As I know, we gave a lot of of talk about that. But apparently, Hazel says that in Filipino culture, teeth falling out signifies the death of a family member. Really? Yeah, isn't that creepy? And oh. she says that she had a cousin who had really vivid dreams. Mm. And then and then 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 a death would occur. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was like, and it got me thinking. I was like, I wonder if cuz I haven't had that dream in a long time. Like who's to say that I had that dream and then something didn't happen in my family? Mm. Yeah. That's horrifying. Can you imagine having a dream and then as soon as you wake up you have to check your phone to see who died? Yeah, well, oh. she says that her grandmother passed away and her uncle passed away after her cousin had dreams. Good. And now they tell her, uh, they tell the cousin if she has a dream with them in it to clench her teeth in the dream. Clench her teeth? Yeah, clench them. Don't let them fall out. Uh, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, I guess that is a good solution. You just got to clench your teeth till you wake up? Yeah. I think that that was a very interesting little, thank you for reaching out and telling that to us, Hazel. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we had. I've had actually had a lot of the thirteenth floorers reach out to me this week. Nice. Oh, yeah. And so we've got a whole bunch of new topics. I was just before we started recording, I was putting new topics in topic vase. Listen to it. I was gonna say, don't pick one yet. It sounds so nice and full. Okay. <laughs> uh, do we have Do we have an icebreaker this week? 
Uh, okay, here we go. If you <laughs> could, if you absolutely had to, like, like there's no option for not doing this. You had to meet a cryptid. Which one would you choose to meet with? Like have an encounter with? No joke. That's literally what I was just thinking as a possibility uh, for our icebreaker. So we're on the same wavelength, James. Nice. I just want to put that out there. What if you all had the same dream last night? We could mm. have, James. Did you have a dream that you were on a lake? I do not recall. All right. Well, so anyways. that you cannot confirm or deny. Exactly. So. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. If I had to meet any cryptid, huh, I'm racking. You know what? I would probably choose. The cryptid that I'm talking about today. Yeah, I kind of thought so. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the Loch Ness monster. Figured, it seems yeah. so friendly. Yeah. So fewest places you can go with him. Yeah. No, I could go swimming with him. Uh, that's one place. Yeah, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I could man. go out on the lake. Maybe you guys, what if I had the dream about the lake because I'm about to talk about the Loch Ness monster? Oh. What if I visited the Loch Ness monster in my dream? Mm. Anyways, who would you guys choose? Freud would say you're sexually attracted to this Loch Ness <laughs> <Alex>. monster. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Alex, what about you? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to go with something like it's kind of lame, but I'm really banking on them being an extra dimensional being, so Bigfoot. I knew it was going to be Bigfoot. I'm really hoping. Yeah. Because I really just want to go in those other dimensions. And so. Uh. You want to go step through the mirror? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, you know how we talked about <laughs> in our episode uh, where I talked about how, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising if an extra dimensional being came into ours and just like wanted to scare us in the middle of the night yeah. or in the middle of the woods or something like that, I would totally want to just go do that. All right. Fair so point. Alex would want to torment <laughs> torment people. Yeah. Oh, man. James, what about you? Probably Mothman, just because I, he's the only one that I have trouble mentally picturing. And I want to know, first and foremost, what he actually looks like. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good reason, James, but you're nuts. I'm just going <laughs> to put that out there. There's a reason we don't know what he looks like. It's because we don't know that much about him, and he's terrifying. Yeah, fear the unknown. You know what I mean? <laughs> James is like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna step right off. At least James's guy can like fly him around and not just go swimming with him. <laughs> your your guy can't fly at all. What's he gonna do? Fart on you? He can warp me. I've got a little addendum universe. to your story, Cece, <laughs> that'll make you maybe change your mind about whether you'd want to go swimming or not. But yeah. <laughs> I don't like you know what I usually don't want to go swimming because water does scare me quite a bit but maybe if the Loganus monster was there with me you're, I wouldn't be so scared your decision mm-hmm. is sounding worse and worse but he's so cute he's got little <laughs> flippers okay he does you guys are t- or she I usually picture her as a she we'll talk about it later uh so Alex you're gonna start us <laughs> off today I am what are you talking about I'm gonna talk about Cynocephaly. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to say it, James. How do you say it? Cynocephaly. No. I've, what? I've, I've heard both kinocephaly and cynocephaly. Kyna or cyno means dog, and cephaly means dog. head. So there you go. Like Diogenes dog was a cynic. Head. You know, that's where that word comes from, too. Because it's kind of canine. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Yes. So I'll do, ke- I'll do kinocephaly. And really, there's no modern actual, at least that I could find, encounters with the creature. Mm. And they all really go back pretty far into history. Uh, but really, and who who just wants to listen to me butcher a whole bunch of names? Because that's what's about to happen. Okay. Which <laughs> places this week? 
exactly. So cytocephaly uh, is just, it's just, it's a creature with the head of a dog, but the body of a human. It's not like a werewolf where it's kind of like a mixture between the two where there's traits throughout. Mm. It's typically just a head, a body, sometimes a tail. I was about to say, does it have a tail? Uh, a lot of the stories say that it has a tail. Hmm. Okay. And sometimes a long, they kind of allege that they're like long fingernails or long claws. Ooh, but sense. overall, it's a very human body. Okay. Okay. And the oldest story that going all the way back is in ancient Greece, Stasius. 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 <laughs> Where is it? Where is I was it? hoping James would actually know this one and correct me. I would say Stasius. I want to say Tasius. Oh, uh, back in four hundred, we're not going to do we're not going to do like gods and stuff like that. We're going to do actual spottings like that were written down. You don't believe in Zeus? Uh, well, you know, we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you there? Uh, but Zeus? essentially, it's me, Alex. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I believe him. I see him in the morning in the mirror. <laughs> Good lord! Uh, but in 400 BC, he says that he spotted a tribe, a tribe of Kynocephaly, and he said that he saw them raising animals, drying meat in the sun. They traded fruits for other goods, and that they had these long claws, tails, and that they also lived in caves. Not in houses. Even though they could have easily lived in houses because they're very... Well, they sound like they're very uh, well put together. They and- are. They are. They, they they even wear, according to some of the stories, that they even wear clothing that kind of shows their status. So, like, the nicer clothing for the rich, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But not all of them are like that. A lot of times they're just wearing animal skins. Mm-hmm. But the only thing different from humans is, A, that they choose to live in caves, but B... The way they communicate with each other is a series of like growls and snarls. <laughs> and that is actually one of the consistent parts throughout all the stories throughout history is that they all just snarl and growl at each other and like completely understand each other. But they can also understand normal people. Wow. Wow. This is like a cartoon. Yes. I know, right? But I'm not, it's not clear whether they were able to communicate with outside tribes since they're just doing snarls and growls. Right. Yeah. And then in 350 BC... Megasthenes. <laughs> I love these names. Megasthenes. Thank you. Megasthenes. I said that he encountered a, a, a canis, kinocephaly. And he says that he ran into him in India, which is actually the same place that Stasius said that he saw him. Oh. And it seems to be an ongoing trend that a lot of these interactions are in the mountains of India. That's very interesting. Yes. And it, he says that he ran to the same thing where they were they were out there hunting. They wore animal skins and, again, the growls and snarls. Hmm. Yeah. But the, the biggest thing that I thought was really interesting was that Alexander the Great actually wrote stories about these creatures Ooh. that he came across when he invaded India. And he actually wrote a letter to his teacher about how he fought against some and that they captured a few. 
Now, what do they end up doing with those? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they certainly didn't bring them home or we know more about them, right? You know what's really wild about that? In in Hinduism, um, there is a mythological race of monkey-headed beings. That's where Hanuman, the, the deity, comes from. Is He's a yeah. member of those beings. They look just like your average dude except the head of a monkey. So I wonder if maybe well, there's a, a canine equivalent. Well, there might be. I, I, I'll, I'll get to that towards the end because that might sound similar to an explanation. Oh. But then about 400 years later, this is about 250 AD, Claudius Alanis <laughs> wrote about the same exact group that he came across while he was in India. And they were still doing almost the exact same thing. Drying meats out in the sun, hunting, living in the mountains. Bartering fruit. Uh, well, the, the fruit story really stuck with the first, uh, <laughs> okay. with Stasius. For some reason, the, the fruit bartering was really yeah. not Stasius. You know what those really fruit barterers say? It's a doggy dog world. <laughs> That's right. Good Lord. <laughs> James, you got Alex there. That was good. Uh, and then we're going to move all the way to 1410, when French Inquisitor Cardinal Pierre Diely said that he ran into a race of dog-headed humans in India. Dang. And this time, he also ran across a one-eyed variation that he referred to as charismaspi. Charismaspi. So it was like a kinocephaly with one eye? Yeah, it's a cyclops with a kinocephaly, pretty much. Weird. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some more stories about other interactions with kinocephaly, but they start to spread out from India from there. They start to go all the way up to Mongolia. They start to go They travel out in Africa. And they just start to, to kind of plume. But it seems like a lot of it really is based in the Indian area. Hmm. Even Marco Polo says that he ran, came across dog-headed people. Dang, this is nuts. What if it was just an insult? It could have been. <laughs> It could very easily be some sort of racism. You know, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the giants that we talked about in our Nephilim episode. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about while I was reading about all these things. It's like all these people are seeing these same things. I mean, even Christopher Columbus says that he saw a dog man. A dog man. Now, the th- the weird thing about it is he wrote about seeing this thing. And then the mother lamb was like, oi. Did ya? And he was like, nah, it's hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't seen nothing weird here. And then he and he went on to say that he's never he hadn't seen anything bizarre. But he did say that he saw a dog man, and then he was like, nah, nah no, didn't happen. Mm. I mean, sailors are notorious for this kind of stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. So. I just thought it was interesting that a lot of these Greek philosophers and medicine... Oh, I almost said medicine men, but that wouldn't <laughs> apply to... Uh, to Greece, but a lot of these people who really kind of base a lot of their stuff in, no, I wouldn't say facts because we got a lot of their like <laughs> yeah. Zeus in them, but they really did seem more science based. And yeah. to see them like really believe in these dogmen of India mm. is pretty interesting. Now, some people think that these, <laughs> these explanations are just complete garbage, but the, <laughs> they explain one of them as the. It could have been the Indri lemur. 
that these people saw. Cece, no. you saw that lemur that I had pulled up on my Oh, yeah, thing. I saw. I, I looked at Alex's computer before we started recording. It was just a whole bunch of pictures of these cute little monkeys. Yeah, they're they're adorable. They're not monkeys. They're lemurs. Whatever. They're adorable. That's all I care about. They're adorable, but they're only based out of uh, Africa and primarily in Madagascar. I was about to say, I was like, there ain't no lemurs in India. Okay, good deal. Yeah, so that's kind of odd. But then another explanation is, kind of like you were saying, some sort of primate. That they were coming across that they weren't able to explain. Right. Maybe, but he, if he was wearing fancy clothes, yeah, well, well, Hanuman's race—they—they uh, they wore clothes. They were like basically dudes with monkey heads. But I thought Oof. I just thought it was odd that all these stories have similar traits, but then there's nothing to explain it. Like there's no, there's no monkey is going to be drying his meat out in that. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every single episode. <laughs> yeah, he says something and then gets hung you. up on it. Yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, oh, I don't dude. see that. <laughs> and I don't see. I don't see any monkeys like bartering, uh, making jerky, fruits. Yeah, yes, yeah, making, making jerky. jerky. There, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> I've seen monkeys making jerky at the zoo. Uh, <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's. <laughs> All right, and he's. <laughs> He's got himself in a fit yep. again, James. There he goes. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> I've gone rogue. He's gone rogue. Well, my question is, did these things actually have, like, like the snout and, like, yes. the shape of a dog? Because, like, what if it was just someone with hypertrichosis? Well, no, it, it's well, it's a village of people, first off. Well, that, that could happen. Yeah, that could happen. Right, but they said in Cestaceous' take... He said that they had teeth like that of a dog. Mm. That's a little hard. Well, what to if explain. he didn't get close enough to him and he's just like, ooh. Yeah. I mean, apparently some of the stories about these is that they were cannibals too, or that they would eat anything that they could Well, catch. if it was a dog. Yeah. I was about to like say. A, a legit dog. Yeah. Yeah. But they said that they would eat sometimes anything they could catch in mm-hmm. some of the stories. But it seems like the traditional stories is it's just this little village in the mountains where they're just. Kynocephaly. Kynocephaly. Man. Living in caves instead of houses when they easily could have lived in houses. You know what? This is the thing, okay, about that. I understand why they live in a cave because you don't have to build a cave. The cave is already made. Yeah. Yeah. Who who wants to spend time building a house when you've got a cave, like, right there? You know what I mean? Mm. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah, good deal. (laughs) I got you there. (laughs) I got you there. Well, cool. Kind of cephaly. I guess. But yeah, I just thought it was odd that so many people, including Marco Polo and Christopher Columbus, have had sightings of kind of cephaly. So that's kind of cool. Neat. Cool. All right. James? May they rest in peace. May they rest in peace. That was just at the sign of the cross. Uh, James, you're going to get a little creepier, aren't you? Yep. Um, yep. I am well, so, talking. So normal. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I am talking about skinwalkers, and it's important to differentiate the ancient skinwalker from the more modern. It's they've undergone a big transformation, kind of like how vampires used to be more like ghosts, you know, and then they became yeah. monsters, and then they became pretty sparkly, sexy monsters, and the same kind of evolution has sort of happened with skinwalkers, except in in some ways backwards. In order to really understand skinwalkers, let's go further back to the concept of a diablero. So, what? A yeah. devil dog. Well, that's that's pretty accurate, <laughs> devil man. 
Um, I hear devil men are real crybabies. But anyway, uh, Diablero <laughs> comes from Soroan Indians. Uh, and, and you see stories like this in a lot of Amerindian uh, legend, but Diableros survive even today. It's a big part of, uh, of in a Mexican culture. So in order to, it's kind of fun. We're going back and back. We just keep splitting hairs. But in order to understand a Diablero, first we need to understand what a Brujo is. So a Brujo Whoa, is, watch huh? the language. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a Brujo is a witch. Like Bruja this literally means witch, but Brujo is the masculine form. In the Amerindian tradition, this word is associated. It's a Spanish word, obviously, but it's associated in, in modern uh, uh, Hispanic culture with shamans or uh, medicine men, people who engage in magical practices to help their community. And this is very common in, like, for example, Santeria, which is a, uh, a religious tradition that you'll, you'll find in high prominence throughout uh, North, Central, and South America. But there's a, a comparative polar opposite to the medicine man, and that is the Diablero. Diablero is someone who is capable of practicing magic but doesn't use it for good. They use it more for like what people are tried for witchcraft in Europe, uh, you know, doing huh. bad things, cursing people, engaging in what we would regard today as satanic practice. And in Mexico, Diablero, as the name implies, are associated with you know, dark arts and satanic practices. So yeah. what's unique about a Diablero, and you see this with, uh, to a lesser extent, with familiars of witches in European folklore, is that they can transform into an animal, usually a black animal, a bird, a dog, a coyote, you know, something that, you know, represents their evil magical abilities. And one thing that's interesting, and the, there's absolutely full, even today, if you go to Mexico, you will have people tell stories about, oh, my my grandpa, a thief, kept breaking into his house. And one day he caught him, you know, trying to escape and he shot him in the leg. And the next day uh, when he was walking down the street, he was attacked by a dog that had a wound in that leg. Or sometimes the, the opposite, you know, a dog will, will be breaking into somebody's house and they'll shoot it. And then the next day they see a person with the same injury. So it kind of reminds me of, of the uh, werewolf stories that we're all yeah. very familiar with. You know, the injury yeah. translates. Well, among the Navajo, a very similar story exists, but they call them skinwalkers. So a skinwalker, in many respects, is kind of like an Amerindian, uh, particularly the southwest part of the U.S., particularly Navajo, Diablero. So these people are pretty consistently bad. Uh, in Navajo tradition, medicine men heal people, whereas skinwalkers harm people. They cause misfortune. Um, sometimes Just the name Skinwalker is creepy right? enough. Very, right? Yeah. And and it's uh, even uh, today, like if you were to ask a Navajo about it, they uh, a lot of times use the word witchery way to describe uh, this particular kind of magical practice. Uh, this includes using corpses to make curses. What? Yeah, Yeah, using no. like bones or, or human body parts to curse or kill people. So this is... This is you know, a very dark story. It's very similar in nature to the witch episode that we covered. One thing that's very important to discuss, though, that's very unique among the Navajo, is that it's actually taboo to wear the pelt of a carnivore. 
So, oh. yeah. So you want to wear, you know, buffalo hide or deer hide or sheep hide or, you know, cow hide, go for it. But if you wear like some of those kind of syphily, if you wear a uh, leopard hide, that's that's yeah. taboo. You're done. And the reason for this is because skinwalkers need to do a few things in order to become skinwalkers. First, they need to kill someone that they love. So, Aww. yeah, usually a, a relative like a family member or a parent. And then, uh, again, it's very similar to witchcraft. Mm. It, it reminds me of that, you know, the whole idea of impressing ultimate evil. Then they need to wear the pelt of a predatory animal. And then they can take the form of that animal initially. And as their magical power gets better, they can take the form of any animal. But it's very important to have that pelt. It makes me think of berserkers. You know, that's where the word comes from, berserker, bear shirt. You know, these, these uh, Viking dudes, they would wear the pelt of an animal and then they would take uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms and then they would fight like that animal, usually a wolf or a bear, hence the name bear shirt berserker. But in this case, what? yeah, yeah, you guys didn't know that? Anyway. I've never, I don't know what oh, berserkers really? are. No, I've oh. never heard of those oh, before. Yeah, yeah, Vikings, they used to do that. Um, the difference is that berserkers did this in order to be really adept on the battlefield, where skinwalkers tend to turn into animals as you can probably guess, to cause misfortune for other people. Stealing, <laughs> killing, kidnapping, just bad things. Disrupting uh, good rituals uh, of good people. Things like that. Uh, that's, that's what they're most known for. Now, all of this is kind of tenuously connected to the more modern definition of a skinwalker. Because the modern definition of a skinwalker is kind of more on par with Slenderman. What happened is Creepypasta, stories especially uh, 4chan's K forum, their weapons forum, they love to have uh, green text stories about skinwalkers. So they're very different. Instead of just being a person, and this, is, by the way, is the, imp the inspiration for the, the screenplay I wrote, is the, the Creepypasta modern definition of a skinwalker, which is a monstrous being that kills people and can take the form of people. So the stories that we, we read uh, on Creepypasta, they tend to all have a commonality. A bunch of friends go hunting in the woods. They start hearing creepy voices that are not quite human, but approximate the English language. And then slowly but surely, somebody gets picked off, and then they come back, and they're not really acting quite like themselves. Very, you know, the thing. And mm -hmm. it's usually associated with a foul aroma, something like burning metal and, and, and rotting flesh. And then as the group of people get infiltrated one by one, you end up with a last remaining survivor, just like pretty much every scary story. And uh, mm -hmm. then that, that's the person who's relating the story to the group. Uh, it's all very... Color by the numbers, these skinwalker stories. They follow right. a lot of other trope stories, like, for example, The Hook. And it's interesting, the, one of the other connections between the modern skinwalker and the Navajo skinwalker is if you look at a lot of Navajo skinwalker legends, they, they start to evolve in, in modern parlance with sort of like uh, urban legends. And that includes stories like The Hook that, that, you know, very well. Now, you you guys are familiar with the hook, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's interesting. And, and 
I'm going to ask you guys, why do you think these stories are so prevalent? I mean, what do they have in common, the Skinwalker stories, the the Navajo and the modern one? Uh, I would say like a almost like an untrustworthiness of what uh, is around you. Yeah, I, I think that's a good description. It's it's sort of, you know, most most cautionary stories, most scary stories, they stem from a fear of the unknown. But these stories, they're a fear of the known. You know, this is this is somebody who looks familiar. This is something that you expect to be normal. Oh, it's a stray dog. Run it off. Turns out it's a bro, uh, Diablero. Uh, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's my friend, but he's acting funny. Well, that's because he's not the same person. He's he's the monster in the story. So right. I, I think there's there's something inherent about just the human condition where we're simultaneously afraid of the unknown, but on some level, we're also aware that there has to be a threat or a very real danger that comes from getting too comfortable with the things that we're too familiar with. And I think that subversion yeah. is something that we see in both the Navajo and the modern Skinwalker myth, the, the creepypasta, you know, post-internet story. Right. It's very interesting. Thank you. I like that. I think that's all I got. I, I like movies about that stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I want it to be made Where you so just bad. can't trust the people around you. Yeah. What what movie would you each recommend of that type? The one oh, yeah, that I want James made. James kind of mentioned it. Er- <laughs> <laughs> what? I have the script. <laughs> James, I, yeah, James does have a script on it. Uh, uh, James mentioned mine earlier, but probably The Thing. Oh, yeah. Just I, I, I think that might be my favorite horror movie, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's mine, too. Yeah. Wow, you two, two peas in a pod. Well, Skinwalkers, are you guys ready to... To kind of lighten things up a little bit. Sounds good. A little, a little light and bright. Oh, I always <laughs> thought Nessie looked like she was kind of going to be heavy, though. Boy. <laughs> you think you're so funny. I'm so funny. All right, you guys. So, I got most of my research from a, a really great article on the Loch Ness Monster by Popular Mechanics. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Site that I don't visit very often. I was going to say, also. that's a little left field there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the Loch Ness monster sighting register, uh, and then a couple of other little websites along the way. But the Loch Ness monster, ooh ooh, <laughs> my best friend, ooh ooh, or maybe it's a he. I simply do not know. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I was singing that song to myself all day yesterday. That was pretty good, but. Are you guys ready to hear about Nessie? Yeah. Or okay. Are you, are you going to sing the rest of it? <laughs> yeah, I should, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, she is without a doubt, in my at least in my opinion, the most well-known cryptid. One of the most well-known cryptids I'd in the I'd say that and Bigfoot are yeah, pretty Yeah, she and Bigfoot, they're up two. there. But she's said to reside in the Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. And it is a 22-square-mile freshwater lake. And it's a maximum 754 feet deep, so roughly 230 meters deep. So, what's the excuse for not finding this thing already? Boy, listen, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk to you about it. <laughs> I'm gonna talk to you. But you guys, do you? Oh yeah, do you guys know when Nessie splashed onto the scene, so to speak? <laughs> um, I would say 1960s. 1960s, James. Uh, well, let's see. Before that, before that, well, okay, Price is right. Forties, forties, you're both wrong. You both overshot it. You're done. You're both out. Neither of you win the RV. Well, (laughs) the Nessie craze, 
as we know it today, didn't really begin until 1933. Uh. Eh, there's actually some evidence from way back when that the Loch Ness may have had a quote unquote sea beast within its waters. Oh. Yeah, there is a 1500 year old carving made by inhabitants of the Scottish, the Scottish, the Scottish, the Scottish Highlands called the Picts, P I C T S. Oh, yeah, the Picts. Yeah, the Picts. They were they were BA, you guys. They were covering tattoos. Yeah, woad tattoos. Wicked cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But they, they made these carvings, and one had an odd animal that nobody knows what it is. And, like, their carvings are beautiful, they're ornate, oh, yeah. and they're very detailed. You can tell what they are, but then on one of them, there's this thing, and it's like, well, what the heck is that? Mm. And the picture kind of looks, in my opinion, it kind of looks like a skinny elephant with little flipper feet. Hmm. Or a cat body with the head of a pterodactyl, because it's kind of got, like, this elongated mm. head. Much more plausible. <laughs> But that, uh, yeah, at first I thought maybe the person who made the stone carving had something else in mind when they were carving it. Because, like, that happens to me all the time when I'm trying to create something or draw Mm -hmm. something. I'm like, oh, I'm going to draw a picture of a cat. And then it looks like a bunny rabbit with who knows what. I try to draw people all the time. They're like a sack of turds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was like, maybe the artist had trouble. But then again, everything else on this thing looks perfect and beautiful. And you can tell what it is. Maybe they let, like... The dunce of the tribe draw one thing. Yeah, they're like, okay. And it's on everybody for a loop. <laughs> they said, all right, you get out of here. <laughs> but another really old account of Nessie comes from St. Columba, who is best known for converting Scotland to Christianity in the 6th century. Huh. Yeah. yeah. One of his great success stories is that he was in the Scottish Highlands one day and he came across a funeral for a man who had just been killed by... A water beast. Eh. So Columbus like, not cool water beast. This man was not meant to die this way. And he taps his staff on the ground. Goes, dip, dip, dip. And then the man springs back to life because it's a miracle, you guys. The mm. saint got to come. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he told one of his disciples to swim across the lock to go get a boat for some reason. And as he's swimming across the lock, all of a sudden the sea beast pops back up and starts going after this guy. And St. Columbus like, no, God, please protect my disciple. Sea beast be gone, and then the sea beast went away. Mm. So, what if that was the one time Nessie actually showed up and he got rid of it? <laughs> there are obviously some ancient accounts of Nessie, but more recently, let's hop up to 1933. Like I said, a businessman and his beautiful wife minding their own business, driving along the lake, when all of a sudden they see a quote tremendous upheaval in the water. And some creature that slightly resembled a whale is what they said it kind of looked like. Hmm. And they told their story to the Inverness Courier, and boom, Nessie Madness was born. Whoa. This. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because people thought there was a creature living in the lock prior to this, which they called a sea kelpie. But uh. not until 1933 did the account of Nessie really become a household name you know it's that. funny when you were t- you when you were talking about that guy getting attacked that's what i thought of is a water horse aka a kelpie they are so scary they're like horses but they have really really sharp teeth and what they do is they they drag men into the water a lot of times a dude will think it's a horse and try to ride it it'll drag them into the water and eat them i don't like that one bit james <laughs> see kelpie sounds adorable right it does no but they're not <laughs> it no well, not until this 1933 count did Nessie really become a household name. And since this, there there have been a crap ton of sightings. And people go to the lock hoping to catch a glimpse of the sea beast. Uh, and according to an article I found from 
something called IOL, which I think is a South African media group. But Nessie draws about $49 million in tourism revenue each year. Dang. And this was as of two. 2018, if I can remember correctly. So lots of people go to see her, and there's this guy named Gary Campbell who started the Loch Ness Monster Sighting Register, which is where I got some of my information from. Um, and I couldn't tell exactly when this register was started. I think it was in the 90s, but Gary started the site after having his own Nessie encounter. Hmm. And since since the site started, there have been 1,114 sightings, the latest having occurred on January 18th of this year. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of these sightings have pictures or video evidence that go with it. Although I would say, because I looked at a lot of these pictures and a lot of them are very blurry or pixelated, or you can't really tell what's there, or it doesn't have a very great sense of scale. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of the photo evidence from the Beast of Exmoor. Like, yeah. uh, if it's drawing in $40 million, it's probably Nicola Sturgeon, the first minister of Scotland, just in a costume. It's just her. <laughs> <It's because laughs> like, yeah. well, that's what, that's what I thought. I was like, they're going to want to perpetuate this idea that Nessie's yeah. really there. And I mean, yeah. who knows? And, and but, Nessie has fins. And you know what else has fins? Sturgeons. And that's her last Stur- name. <laughs> oh, my James. Oh, man, James. Conspiracy James over here. all together. Yeah, but... You guys, I'm sure we're, I'm sure you're aware of this, but there have been a lot of notable hoaxes when it comes to no. Nessie's <laughs> evidence. The most well-known hoax is the surgeon's photo. Which, which rhymes oh, with sturgeon. Sturgeon's <laughs> photo. Yeah, exactly. I knew you guys were going to do that. But everybody and their mom has seen this picture. Like this mm. is the this is the picture that everyone thinks of when they think of the Loch Ness monster. And it looks like the Loch Ness monster sticking her little head out and neck out of the water. Is it the giant? One? Is it the one that looks like it's someone's arm? Yeah, hanging that's out what the water, it looks, yeah. like a sock puppet almost. Yeah, like a, yeah, exactly. That's the one. Yeah, you've seen it. That's a good picture. Yeah, it was taken in 1934 by mm. a gynecologist named Robert Wilson, or so they say. What? And he said he, yeah, he said he photographed quote an object moving in Loch Ness, and this was when. Nessie was obviously causing a media circus, and everyone was like, photo evidence. Everyone was like, look, Loch Ness Monster's real. But, you guys, it was all faked. Mm. That picture is fake for sure? It's fake. Yeah, it's fake for sure. Mm. Funny story, actually. And I didn't know this. Like, I knew that the picture was fake, but I didn't know the story behind it. According to Popular Mechanics, the Daily Mail sent a filmmaker slash big game hunter to go get footage of Nessie. And the guy was named Marmaduke Weatherell. What? That's awesome. What a name. Yeah, and at the end of the day, he he produced a footprint cast of Nessie's little flipper paws or whatever she has, and the Daily Mail sent them off to the Natural History Museum for study, and the researchers are like, uh, this is a hippo footprint. <laughs> so the Daily Mail was like, these aren't real, and Weatherall was shamed, and he was embarrassed, and he was like, I'm going to get you back. He shook his little fist, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> So, what if he just accidentally mixed up the samples and sent the wrong one in? Mm. He was shamed so badly he couldn't send the real one. Yeah, you got uh, conscious. <laughs> yeah, he did. He got his son Ian and his stepson Christian Sperling to build a quote sea beast These from names. a toy submarine. I know, aren't they fun? Yeah. And a little curved neck made of plastic wood is what it said in the article. I was like, I don't know what that is, but whatever it is, they used it. So they put this thing in the lake, take a picture, and for some reason, they then had Wilson, the gynecologist guy, the surgeon, mm-hmm. uh, say the picture was his. And there you have it. That's the famous surgeon's photo story. Wow. Yeah. 
And over the years, people obviously suspected it was a hoax, but Sperling, uh, Weatherall's stepson, confirmed it in 1994 when he was 94 years old. Well, he just could not take that one to the grave, huh? Yeah, he was like, it's too much guilt on my heart. No, no. <laughs> but an- another really interesting semi-hoax, and I call it a semi-hoax because it's pretty much unintentional. But in 1970, a giant fake Nessie was built for a movie for the private life of Sherlock Holmes. And they filmed it, but it was somehow lost in the lake. I guess they just <laughs> dropped it. But then over the years, people would spot it and understandably think it was real. Like yeah. they'd see the shape of Nessie on sonar and stuff and be like, oh my God, it's Nessie. <laughs> but it was it was just this giant fake Nessie that was made for the movie. That's awesome. Yeah, and that happened in 2016 during an underwater survey with the sea drone. They spotted the Nessie-shaped object in the water, but it was just the prop. So That's funny. Yeah. And then one other funny fake. I like this. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, a whiskey company in the 1990s made a fake Nessie that they pulled along in the water for some promotional material. They told everybody that was involved in the, the shoot or whatever that it was fake. But, you guys, there are tourists who drive past the lake all the time. So, (laughs) tourists drive past, and they see this thing floating in the water. They don't know it's for promotional material. Yeah. So, they start taking pictures. And so, goodness knows how many pictures are out there right now that's proof of Nessie when it was really just, you know. (laughs) Goodness. A commercial. A commercial. So, anyways, you guys, I've blathered on for a long time. Let's quickly go over what Nessie might actually be, shall we? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Over the years, researchers have tried to figure out what this monster could be through various scientific methods and ex- uh, expeditions using like sonar and drones and underwater photography. But it's a big, deep lake, you guys. So searching for Nessie is not the easiest task in the world, understandably so. But one big theory over the years is that Nessie could be a plesiosaur. Right. Yeah. Which makes sense. One of those dinosaurs with a long neck and the cute little flipper fins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some people thought that maybe a plesiosaur still lived in the lock. But this idea was shut down in the 90s when this thing called the Rosetta Project did some research to see if at any point the sea had connected with the lake. Mm-hmm. To see if maybe like way back when. Because I think that they, they found that the lake was between 10,000 to 12,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to see if, you know, the sea connected with it, this dino could have swum in and who knows if he's still around now, but underwater tunnels under, yeah. Underwater tunnels. Well, and I think there are tunnels around. I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that. I was going to say, how do you know that? I, I'm just a genius. (laughs) (laughs) No, they came away with no evidence supporting the theory and they no longer believe that Nessie is a plesiosaur, which makes me kind of sad because I wanted a dinosaur. You know what I mean? It could still be a different dinosaur. Yeah. Well, (laughs) let's jump to 2018. Enter Neil Gemmel. I think that's how you say his name. Mm. It might be Gemmel, but he's an environmental DNA researcher, which is actually a very new field of science. It's very interesting. But basically what they do is they collect DNA from like the air and water and all this stuff, like skin cells and hair cells, very tiny little pieces that are just like passing through the environment Mm -hmm. and they collect them and then they sort through them and they try to see who it came from. So in 2018, they did this type of research on the lock. They collected 250 samples of water and then they did a whole bunch of gene sampling. And in September of last year, they released their findings. Mm. They found that there are 3,000 species who call the Loch Ness home. Mm. 11 fish species, 20 mammals, 3 amphibians, but no reptiles. So Gemmel says the plesiosaur theory probably isn't too plausible. 
And he says it's possible that Nessie could possibly be. Are you guys ready for it? It is the swimming elephant picture. The swimming elephant <laughs> No. He says it's possible it could be a very large eel. Because there are eels that live in the loch. Hmm. Oh. A very large eel. But he says it's probably not likely. He doesn't think that it could be like of the scale that all these people claim to see. Hmm. So he and he was very he did not want to say, oh, I think, you know, this is real or this is the answer. But he says more research needs to be done. It's hmm. a plesiosaur. Alex is 100 percent sure it's a plesiosaur. <laughs> hmm. Some people also think it could be a tulpa, which we've talked about in our tulpa episode. Uh-huh. I was like, I one thing that I looked into, I was like, I wonder if there's a ley line over the Loch Ness that might, you know, create hmm. that dimensional shift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've, oh, I saw a lot of things that said there were, but then also when I searched Leyline Scotland, for some reason, all it brought up was World of Warcraft stuff. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. You can Speaking only think so. of magic. In, magic. Yeah. In 1899, a fella by the name of Alistair Crowley bought a ooh, house ooh. on Loch Ness called Bullskin House. And when he was there, he took part in... Probably the most complex ritual of his life. Uh, and I mean, like, period. If he sacrificed Nessie, I'm going to be so mad. No, uh, the, <laughs> un, under this theory, he's responsible for Nessie being there. Oh. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. So here's what happened. He bought Bolskin House, uh, which is, a, there's a lot of creepy stuff going around with Bolskin House. But anyway, uh, he decided to perform the most complicated ritual of his life, which was to invoke his his own guardian angel. So this took six months of preparation, utter celibacy, utter abstinence from alcohol. And remember how we talked about uh, the Goetia, Alex? Because you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that particular demon. He had to summon 12 kings and dukes of hell, bind them, remove their negative influence from his life, and during this ritual, his master, the, the head of the Golden Dawn, uh, Samuel Mathers, calls him up and says, hey, I'm in legal trouble. And he's like, I can't help you. I am in the middle of something huge, the biggest thing of my life. And he's like, you have to. You got to help me out here. So he leaves in the middle of this very lengthy ritual, which means he didn't fully bind and purify those demonic forces. When he came back, Tons of tragedies started happening. People started accidentally dying left and right. Crazy stuff just started happening to everyone at the house, the people who worked there, etc. Ultimately, he, he he sold it for less than he bought it in like 1913. And huh. the theory is that the, the Loch Ness Monster is, in fact, one of those demons. Case in point, I mean, what demon matches that description? Leviathan. Leviathan is an aquatic, demonic creature uh, that's hmm. massive in scale. I mean, I've even heard people describe the Loch Ness Monster as a Leviathan. So that's a very conceivable uh, theory on that. Afterwards, Bolskin House has transferred ownership numerous times. Every time somebody buys it, they're beset by tragedy. Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin at one point owned it. And just five short years ago... Uh, this Dutch couple was, uh, and, and their daughter was uh, own, in ownership of it, and it caught fire with no one in the house, almost like it caught fire on its own, at which point it was bought by like some like heritage preservation society, some sort of foundation, and they've been working on fixing it back up. But yeah, it's, it's straight up cursed. <laughs> well, James, uh, 
I'd like to amend my answer <laughs> to which cryptid I'd like to hang out with. <laughs> if it is Leviathan, I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to change my answer to Ogopogo. Ogopogo. <laughs> Oh, man. Ogopogo is my answer now. I forget about Ogopogo. Ogopogo. How does the song go? Uh, Ogopogo. Ogopogo. All right, you guys. That is our cryptids episode. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we draw from the vase? Nope. Um... You just you just want a cryptid that you can sing about. No, I always, about. always, yeah, I always <laughs> want a cryptid that I can sing about. Um, Alex, who does our music? Our music is Signal by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, anywhere you listen to music. Anywhere you listen to music. Uh, 13th Floriers, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have a friend that you think would like this and you, you like like it enough, we hope that you'll share it. Yeah, get them to listen. Get them to listen. Yeah. Um, and you could if, share in the joy that is us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if uh, if you want to talk to either of us, and by either of us, I mean me and James, because Alex is <laughs> never on Twitter. But you can you can reach out to James on Facebook. You can reach out to me on the Thirteenth Floor Instagram. Alex, pick yeah. pick from the vase. Wait, 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 wait. There's a big thing in there. Yeah, Move that's yeah. There. Okay, draw. Oops. Oh, wow. Funny little logo poco. Oh, okay. Well, this is funny. This this topic was submitted to us today, actually. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Hitler conspiracies. Ooh. Oh. Submitted so to us. This <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> we could probably do a couple episodes on this one. This is submitted to us by Erica in Kentucky. Erica, thank you so much. Yeah, they really had that today? For, yeah, for texting oh. me and asking for this topic. So... <laughs> You've been the the lucky one this week. We're going to be talking about Hitler conspiracies next week. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, until next time, you guys, we hope that you can keep, keep it, it straight. straight. Wow, I'm excited for